been a wonderful service thus far. I'll tell you, I always rejoice when the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ is emphasized. That is the source of our hope. And I want to look at a passage today in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to be turning to that passage. It's in the second chapter of the book of Acts. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And the passage we're going to look at is actually the first recorded sermon after uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Obviously, more preaching went on when Jesus was on this earth for 40 days. But uh, this is a sermon that Simon Peter preached. And in it, he emphasized the subject that is uh, so much on our mind today. And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to allow you to be seated while we read uh, today. But I want to begin reading in, in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. Simon Peter is the preacher. And the occasion is the Feast of Pentecost. And uh, there were three major uh, festivities or festivals or religious holidays in the Jewish tradition and culture. And one of them was Pentecost. And from the word penta, of course, meaning five. And the word Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. And the Jewish people celebrated the Passover every year. Because it was the time that they remembered that was through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb, they were able to be delivered from Egyptian bondage. And so this was a ritual for them every year on Passover. They they celebrated that the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel of their home provided salvation for them. Fifty days after the Passover, or after, after Passover, was Pentecost. It was called the first fruits. And so... This is 50 days, as we're reading here, 50 days, the day of Pentecost, after their Passover, which also happened to be 50 days after Jesus died on the cross, who was the fulfillment of that Passover lamb. He was the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Because of this holiday, multitudes of people that normally don't reside in Jerusalem are here, and Peter is addressing what is taking place. The the Spirit of God has been poured out as was promised by Jesus. And now he's standing to teach and to preach. Look with me if you would in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And then if you look down in verse 37, it says this. Now when they heard this, when they heard Peter's message, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? We're going to look at this message that Peter preached today and look at some of the contents of the message and then the response of the people to the message 
that Peter preached. Let's pray and ask God's blessing today on his word. Father, thank you for the word of God. And thank you for the reality of your love for us in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, to prove and to demonstrate his perfection and his power in healing all manner of sickness and disease and the truth that he preached. But then eventually, by his own will, surrendered to the death on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. And God, we thank you for that sacrifice and for the blood that was shed, that we might be cleansed and forgiven. But we also thank you, Lord, today for the empty tomb, that three days later he raised from the dead. We pray that today you'd help us just to grow in our understanding and appreciation of what you've done for us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I look at this sermon uh, that Simon Peter preached, the first thing he addresses to them really is who Jesus is. They weren't, you know, Jesus, it wasn't like Jesus did what he did and said what he said and lived the way he lived in some sort of a secretive uh, place. This is the city of Jerusalem where Jesus went often. And they were aware of his ministry. They knew that he was a miracle worker. They observed what he did. And so he says in verse 22, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves know. Peter was reminding these listeners, you know, you yourselves know, you're aware of this miraculous life of Jesus Christ. And interesting in verse 23, it says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Peter was reminding them that it was God who came up with the plan that Jesus would go to the cross. Now they may have carried this out. They may have fulfilled and carried out God's will. But the words predominant or premeditated really, the, the, the providence of God was in sending Jesus Christ to this earth. And young people, it's important to know today that when they took Jesus Christ to the cross, he, he, they didn't force him to go, he willingly went. He went because that was his mission in life, to go. And so Peter's reminding them it was because of this counsel of God, this foreknowledge of God that he went. And then what he says in verse 23, You've taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He was telling them, you're the ones that are responsible. The people he was listening to him, you're the one that responsible for the gruesome crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. It's hard for us to imagine the kind of death it was, the form of death that it was. I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah hundreds of years prior to this, when Isaiah said in the last part of Isaiah chapter 52, concerning this event of Jesus' death, that his visage was marred more than any man. That means that he was so disfigured, Jesus was, because of what he went through, the crucifixion, the beating, the torture that he went through, beyond comprehension. And what Peter's doing, he's taking that, that gruesome death and putting that responsibility upon those Jews. You're the one that did this. You're the ones that was responsible, responsible for him being crucified. God ordained it, God orchestrated it, but you're the ones who carried it out. Your wicked hands slew him. And it wasn't in ancient history they slew him. It was only 50 days. 
prior to this message that Peter is preaching. And they knew that he was dead. They, they had a, a say, they had a part in his crucifixion. Those few days prior to this. And at the time, to be frank with you, many of them were glad. They thought he was an imposter. They thought he was a liar. They didn't appreciate his message and what he was doing. But there was something they didn't count on when they crucified him. Look in verse 24, it says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Three days and three nights after the lifeless body of Jesus was put in this borrowed tomb, Jesus showed himself alive. I never get tired of thinking about it. I never get over the awe of it. That God raised Jesus from the dead. There's no greater miracle than this. How can a lifeless body, days and nights dead, be brought to life? And the answer is, only by the power of God. Jesus Christ did it. At the heart of Peter's preaching is this testimony of the resurrection. If you look in verse 32 of this same passage, it says this, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Now when Peter says we are witnesses, that means he saw him firsthand. It wasn't hearsay. It wasn't secondhand. He saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And he says, we are witnesses. We witnessed his life. We witnessed his death. But we witnessed that three days later, he was alive. We saw him after he raised from the dead. And this, this theme of the resurrection is found so often in the preaching of the apostles. And if you're here in Acts chapter 2, just turn to the left, maybe a page or so. In Acts chapter 1, referring to his resurrection, it says in verse 3, Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, to whom also he, talking about Jesus, he showed himself alive after his passion, the word passion speaking of his crucifixion, his death on the cross. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, proofs that could not be denied, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus showed himself alive for those 40 days with many miracles. Not only did the apostles speak often of his resurrection, but I find it interesting, and I'm not going to really get into it this morning, to read about some of the testimony of first century preachers, first century being the same century when Jesus died, and some of their testimony about Jesus Christ. One of them named Clement is mentioned in the, in the New Testament and other places. One of his name was Polycarp. One of his name was Ignatius. And these first century people, their quotes can still be written. I read about what Jesus did, what they knew about Jesus. Two of those men, at least, were actually discipled by John the Apostle. And they wrote about what Jesus Christ had done, that he lived a life that everyone knew about, that he was viciously crucified, but three days later he raised from the dead. Josephus was a man that was a Jewish historian. He lived in the first century, the same century that Jesus 
died. And he wrote about this. He said, Jesus appeared to his disciples three days after Pilate condemned him to the cross. So some people today would look with skepticism and say, but we don't really know if Jesus raised from the dead. I mean, we weren't there. No, but we have the writings of people who were there. And it's not just one or two, it's many people who knew that Jesus raised from the dead. But if you, if you just took the words of Jesus, either Jesus raised from the dead or he was a compulsive liar because Jesus predicted his own crucifixion, his own death and his own resurrection many times while he was alive before he died. In Matthew chapter 16 Jesus began to show unto his disciples, and this is a quote from the Bible, how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now imagine if someone were to say to you, you know, I just want to tell you something that's going to happen pretty soon. I'm going to go to trial. I'm going to be accused of things. They're actually going to kill me. But don't give up, because three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. Jesus didn't just say that once. He said it many times. He's over and over, he would say. And the disciples themselves struggled with it. They had a hard time with it. But Jesus himself announced it prior to his death. In Matthew 17, he told his disciples, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man be risen from the dead. There were a group of people, religious people, and they asked Jesus. They were always asking Jesus, show us a sign. Give us some miracle. Show us a sign. And this is what Jesus said to them. There's only one sign that's going to be given to you. And that's the sign of the prophet Jonah. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, Jonah was a prophet. And Jonah disobeyed the Lord and he was eventually in a storm and cast into the sea, the raging sea. And and he was swallowed up by a big fish. And three days later, that fish regurgitated him upon the, upon the coastline. And this is what Jesus said. Here's the only sign you're ever going to have. If you want a sign, here it is. The Son of Man, talking about himself, will be three days and three nights in the center of the earth. But then he's going to raise from the dead. So this was not just something that... that um, came out of nowhere. Jesus taught it. Jesus taught it to his disciples. He went over and over again to him. And, and, and I just want to say to you today, if you happen to be at a place in your life that maybe you're questioning, could Jesus really raise from the dead? I mean, there are skeptics. There are people who wonder about that. And I would encourage you not to listen to one side of the argument, but to listen to more than one side. I could read you testimonies today of people who actually set out to disprove the testimony of Christ and the testimony of Scripture that Jesus raised from the dead, who at the end of their study themselves were converted because there was such indisputable evidence that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. I'm just rejoicing today that Jesus died for us, but not just that He died for us, but He raised on the third day. And I I take the time to emphasize this because believing this is essential to this matter of salvation. The the whole matter of salvation is about where we're going to spend eternity. It's not just about how we live in this life. It will affect the way this life is lived. 
But it's even more importantly, it's about where we're going to spend forever. Where we're going to be for eternity. And there's only one, one plan that God ever gave in the Bible for how we can know that we're going to heaven. That's called the gospel. And it's the message of the life of Jesus and the fact that he died. But also that he raised again on the third day. It's essential that if a person is going to be saved, that they believe what the Bible says about the resurrection. You might say, well, preacher, don't you think everybody believes that? I would like to think they do. But let me just read you a quote that I read just this week in the news. Don't believe everything you read in the news, by the way. (laughs) But here's something I read this very week. It said there was a recent poll taken among... Christians. Now they use the word Christians very loosely, right? There was a recent poll in in the United Kingdom, in in Britain, England, about about Christianity, and it says this. Here's the point I want to make. 46% of Christians believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, less than half the people who claim to be a Christian... In this poll, less than half the people who claim to be Christian believed in the death of Christ and His resurrection. Well, first of all, they can't be a Christian if they don't believe in the death of Christ and His resurrection. These people must be deceived. But the point is, there are many people, especially in this post-Christian world that we live in, who are skeptical and doubtful. But I'm telling you today, the, the evidence is overwhelming. The Bible evidence but also human evidence, the evidence of writers who lived in that period that Jesus did live upon this earth, that he was crucified, but three days later he was alive. This message of the gospel is is essential to our faith in Jesus Christ. Look here at this Acts chapter 2 where I was reading a moment ago. Acts chapter 2. And this is a part of Peter's message. Look in verse 36. This is the conclusion of Peter's message. In verse 36 it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. The word Christ means the promised one, the Messiah, the promised Savior of Israel in the world. He says, you need to know that God made him both Lord, he's God, and Christ. That's a, that was the heart of Peter's message. But then I want to look at a verse I read in the beginning, verse 37, the very next verse. And that's how they reacted, how they responded when they heard this. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Very interesting. They heard this message that Peter was preaching about the Jesus that they had crucified. The fact that he was Lord and Christ. That he was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. They heard the message. They knew that he had lived. They lived in Jerusalem. They knew that he had lived. It was not like he could be crucified and no one would know about it. They knew these things. And when he said... When he said to them, he's Lord in Christ, then they said, look in verse 37 again, what shall we do? They were pricked in their heart. Think about that phrase with me for a moment. They heard the truth. 
They heard the gospel and they were pricked in their heart. That means it pierced them. It, it t- they were listening intently. They wanted to know what Peter was saying. They were, they were interested in his message. They took it seriously and the gospel reached their hearts. Recently, a person visited our services for the first time and, and I was greeting them and speaking to them as they were leaving the service that evening. And they said something about the service and the message and the Bible lesson. And this was what they said, I felt it. In other words, it got through to me. You know, this message got through to them. They were pricked in their heart. They weren't just, you know, waiting to get it over with. They were interested and God was speaking to their heart. Now, what does that mean? They wanted to know what to do. What should we do? They received the message, but they were ready to obey. They didn't come to, they didn't come to this event and say, you know, I understand what you're saying. It makes sense to me. I believe it's real. But I'm not interested in doing it. No, they said, what, what are we supposed to do? What should our response be to this message? You know what? They were convicted of their sin. They were convicted within themselves that it was their sin that sent Jesus to the cross. It was their sin, right? They wanted him crucified. They are the ones, there are some of them that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. But let me tell you something today. It wasn't just their sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was our sin as well. Jesus died for my sins. When Jesus went through what he went through, he went through it for me. He died. If it, it was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. And so when they heard this, they were convicted about that. They took it seriously. But I want to suggest to you today that we ought to take it just as seriously. Because Jesus died for our sins. Jesus went to the cross for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. And so what did Peter say when they said, what should we do? Look what he, look what he said in verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent. The first thing he said to them is you have to repent. Now what does the word repent mean? It's not complicated. It's pretty simple. Repentance means to turn from our sin to God. Turn from our from ourself to Christ. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart. Repentance is a sincere admission that we have sinned against God and we want to be forgiven and we believe that Jesus died for our sins. That's all included in the word repent. See, they had been wrong. They'd been wrong in their thinking. They were wrong in their attitude about their sin. They were wrong in their attitude toward Christ. But he says, you've got to repent of that. And you know what? They did repent of that. And then what did they do? Look in verse 41. It says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. They not only repented, but they received the word of God. They believed the gospel. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something today. There's only one way for a person to be saved and be forgiven of their sins. And it's not through anything we do. It's not through our good works. It's not because we could ever earn it. It's because we come to God with a repentant heart and we put our faith in Jesus Christ for what He did for us on the cross. And many times people hear that and say, well, there's got to be more than that. If it was anything more than that, we couldn't do it. 
Because we are in our very nature a flawed group of people. We've sinned against God. On our best day, we could never earn heaven. The gospel that, this, that Peter preached to them was this. You've got to turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just believe that He existed, but put your faith and trust in Him. The good news is salvation is for all. Not just for some, but it's for all. One of my favorite phrases associated with the crucifixion of Christ was when He uttered these words from the cross. Three simple words. It is finished. When he died on the cross, he said, it's finished. Everything that needed to be done for mankind to be forgiven is finished. The the responsibility for us is not to somehow earn it. Our response is to believe it. To put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He died for our sins and three days later he raised from the dead. But we must personally receive that truth. And these people, not all of them, but 3,000 of them at one time, believed that message that Jesus died for them, paid for their sin, did everything necessary that they could be forgiven before a holy God, and raised again on the third day. And they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And... They were baptized in verse 41. It says, Then they gladly received His word, were baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They were baptized. Now, they were, they, I think it's important to say this. They weren't baptized as a part of their salvation. They were baptized because they were saved. There's a lot of misunderstanding about that. Matter of fact, I'm going to take just about a minute or less and clarify something. Maybe it would help you. Look in verse 38 it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Now I want you to think about that word for. Maybe even underline it or circle it because that's a key word. Some people believe that you have to be baptized in order for you to be saved for the remission of sins. But I want to remind you that the word for can mean one or two things. Um, one of our men uh, this afternoon after services is going to go to the uh, county jail. He's going to be preaching over there. And, and he would say about those people over there that they're in jail for breaking the law. Now, are they in jail in order to break the law? Or are they in jail because of breaking the law? The word for here means because of. It's not saying repent and be baptized in order for you to be saved. You're baptized because you've been saved. When we, when we are saved, it's by faith in Jesus Christ. But after these people were saved, after their sins were forgiven, they wanted to follow the Lord. As a matter of fact, one last verse we'll look at. Look in verse 42. It says, and they, talking about these people, very important thing to think about this morning, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread 
and in prayers. These people had not even been converted before this. They had not even been saved. These were Jewish people who did not, up until this, put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. But when they got saved, verse 42 says, they continued steadfastly. Their lives were changed. They wanted to be in fellowship with other Christians. They continued steadfastly, the Bible says, in the apostles' doctrine. They wanted to learn about the Bible. They continued to pray together as a church family. If you read those words, they became followers of the Lord and faithful members of the church there in Jerusalem. Their lives were changed by the message of the gospel. And I want to tell you today, a lot of things have changed in the last 2,000 years since Peter preached this sermon. But one thing has not changed. The message of the gospel has not changed. It's still Jesus Christ. It's still Jesus Christ who died on the cross, not for his sins, but for our sins, and was buried, and three days later raised from the dead. And what else hasn't changed is that people who believe that message and put their faith in that message are changed by the grace of God. Saved. Forgiven of their sins. Jesus called it being born again. Not because of an emotional feeling, but because of our faith in Jesus Christ. At the center of these transformed lives here in Acts chapter 2 was the death of Christ and His resurrection and their response to the gospel. I'm not saying that they had anything in their own good will or deeds or effort that saved them, but I'm saying this, had they not responded to the gospel, they would not have been saved. They responded to the message of what should I do? What should I do? And Peter could have said, well, you need to join the church and you need to start giving your money and you need to start serving and helping people. And you need, no, he didn't say that. He said, you need to repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. It's still the message. I ask you today, in your own life, can you say with confidence, I've done that. Maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, but you could say, I've done that. I want to tell you, this this is the message that must be believed for a person to be saved. There's no other way. it's, It's not a difficult way, but it's the only way. It's not complex, but it's the only way. By the way, this is the message that everyone needs to hear. Everyone. And this is the message that we all need to share with other people. But it's the message that must be believed. Whatever your age today, and wherever you came from, if you come to this church often, or if you're new to the church, visiting from the community. with Listen, whoever you are today, answer this question in your mind. Have you personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior? And do you know with confidence that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And if you say, I don't know, I'm not sure, then today would be a good day to settle that issue and say, I want to do what they did. They repented of their sin and said, God... I want to be saved. Receive Christ as Savior. You could do that today. 
It'll be the greatest day in your life. It'll be an Easter Sunday you'll never regret or forget. Amen? And you can do that today. You may be sitting there saying, well, that's what I want to do. How do I do that? If you're, if you're sincere, if you'd like for someone to talk to you about that and help you in just a moment, there'll be people available to help you to do that. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about joining. It's about receiving Jesus Christ. You say, well, don't you think people can do that without assistance? I'm reminded of a story in the book of Acts in the Bible where there was a man sitting in a chariot reading this very message. And one of God's men named Philip went up to the chariot and asked him a simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said this, how can I? Unless somebody guide me or show me. He said, I need some assistance. And you know what? Philip got up there with him and showed him how to receive Christ. Most of us have been down that road. Someone's helped us or showed us. And if you'd like to today, someone could help you today. Say, that's what I want. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to know my sins are forgiven. You might wonder, how, why is it these people who've maybe some like me, more than 40 years that I've known the Lord, 40 years that I've been saved, more than that. You say, well, how, do those, how come those people just still really seem so happy about it? Because it changed our life. It gave us hope and purpose. It, it gave us a promise of heaven. It gave us the peace of knowing our sins are forgiven. And I wish everyone had that same peace in their heart. Amen?